Welcome to the podcast of Mosaic Church, celebrating diversity within community. What do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. And then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your minds on the things of God, but on the things of man. And then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of the Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, this is your word that still speaks to us thousands of years later. It is the living word that you have given us. It is truth. And we pray that you would um, plant that truth deep in our hearts. That it would change us and move us. In your name, amen. So it starts out with this kind of familiar story that we hear a lot this time of year uh, with Jesus, and he gets to a certain place, and he looks at his disciples, and he asks them a question, who do you say that I am? First, he asks them, who do, what do other people say? So Peter's got some answers. Uh, but this was not just a question to Peter. So Peter was answering corporately for everybody. He's like, hey, here's some things we've heard. It wasn't just an answer for Peter. But there are a lot of answers to that question. So this morning you can even ask yourself, who do people say Jesus is? And we can even think of the church response. And there's a lot of different things that people say from the church, right? He's an incarnate. He's our personal Lord and Savior. Uh, he is everything. You get outside the church and some people say, well, he was a good man or he was a role model or he was my life coach. You hear a lot of different languages today. A couple of years ago, there was a t-shirt that said, Jesus is my homeboy. There's a lot of stuff that people say that Jesus is. But the question that Jesus was trying to nail down to his disciples was not what you've heard, but who do you say 
that I am? And that's the question that we will wrestle with this morning, but if we're honest, it's not just a question that we're going to wrestle with this morning. It's a question we'll wrestle with for, for probably our whole lives. Who is Jesus? And if you're anything like me, um, A, that's not an easy question to answer. One of the reasons it's not an easy question to answer, I mean, we can spout out the Sunday school answer right now, right? This is who Jesus is. He's the Messiah. Boom. Done. And, and that is what actually Peter said. And when Peter said it, Jesus said, yeah, you're right. We're going to get to that. But we can spout that out. But if we're, but we're honest with ourselves, if you're anything like me, it's likely that Jesus, the answer to that question is different where you're at and what stage you're at in your life. In fact, what, I, what the answers that I said of who Jesus is when I was first saved. So when I first became a believer at age like eight years old, I think was when I went down front to a church passion play at Easter time, felt compelled, cried, said the sinner's prayer and did the thing that happened in the, in the Pentecostal church, right? So you say the sinner's prayer. I mean, I know it's like that for a lot of places, not completely like that all over. But that's what it was for me, and I did that, and I felt compelled. And what Jesus was to me uh, is different than what Jesus is to me as a 43-year-old man, right? So, so my thought on who Jesus is has changed. It's not that what was true for me at 8 years old is no longer true. It's just I've grown with it. It's grown with me. It's the kids are having a great time. Man, they're having more fun than y'all are. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but it's changed. It's grown. And it's grown with me. And I've grown with it. And, and at different times in my life, I can answer that question very differently. Who is Jesus? And that is what Jesus, that is like the crux of who we are because our thought on who Jesus is changes how we see the world around us, how we see in our own lives, how we see in our own sin. We're going to talk about that a little bit. One of the things that's interesting is in the Old Testament. So if you flip back to the Old Testament scripture, there is a lot, there is a ton of scripture in the Old Testament that speaks to things related to justice type stuff, caring for the poor, caring for the needy. Relying on God to uh, win wars and this kind of idea of uh, military occupation. I mean, even scriptures that speak to that. And all these different things that have to do with justice. And we flip to the New Testament. It doesn't, it's not quite there like it is in the Old Testament. In fact, if we look at the words of Jesus outside of Jesus kind of saying, you know, we know the one scripture we can go to, right? Care for the orphans and the widows. We got that one. Outside of that, we don't see Jesus speaking of these social issues that were important for them at that point in time and are quite honestly important for us today. Jesus doesn't speak out against injustice and racism, classism, which was a really big deal back then, right? The military occupation of, of, of the Roman Empire into the what was perceived as the given or what was the given land that God gave to the Jews, and now the Romans have occupied it, and that's this justice issue that's really strong for them. And Jesus doesn't really speak to that. 
And I think that it's genius that he doesn't because one of the things that happens is that when, if Jesus had spoke to those things, then we, re, we would reduce the gospel down to those handful of things. Right? Like we can do that very quickly. We can just take the one thing and say, yep, that's the gospel and that's all it is. But Jesus doesn't speak to each of those things so it gives us freedom to take on all those things. Because Jesus deeply cares about them all. He doesn't speak to just one. I remember as a young kid, there was a guy I knew who would always, so we, I went to, uh, I say young kid, I was in college. And the first college I went to was North Greenville College. Very uh, conservative Christian college. If you're not familiar with it, I think it's loosened a little bit. Um, but it's super conservative Christian college. I remember at the time uh, that y'all may pass judgment on me. That's fine. <laughs> it's just reality. At the time, I had my tongue pierced. And as a result, someone came at me after chapel one day and said, Fire, you have a tongue? I said, yeah, there's a girl. She's like, you're going to hell. <laughs> All right. Thanks for the good news. You know? uh, like I, that was a real comment. And she just walked off. I'm like, okay. Uh, that's, so it's super conservative. Things were kind of like down. And so I had a friend there. His name was Daryl. He played football with me on a football team. And Daryl smoked. Now, that may seem weird that played football and he smoked. It was true. Uh, and he would love, he loves bringing this out. Well, that's not mentioned in scripture. Why in the world? I mean, that was kind of Daryl's go-to, right? And really, if that was true, we could go to everything almost and say, well, that's not, and then the Christians, what would they do, right? They go to Corinthians and say, well, your body's a temple. And so you got to treat the temple right. They would misconstrue that scripture because he's talking about the entire body of Christ, not just one person's body. But it could be applicable. And so they would kind of go back and forth. And the tension lied in that Jesus didn't say anything specifically about it. But it gave us the opportunity. Jesus deeply cared about Daryl's health and the justice issues and all of it. And it gave us permission because he didn't speak to just one thing. Uh, Bill, would you put on John 12? I'm not going to flip there because I'm just going to read it real quick. Uh, But Jesus says this in John uh, chapter 14. So the Gospel of John chapter 14, verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I do. And greater works than these he will do because uh, I'm going to the Father. And so Jesus actually ends up telling them, like, you're not just going to do what I do. Like it ain't, it's not just about what you see me do and what you see me say. It is that. Let's not misconstrue that statement. But actually, you're going to do more than that. God's going to do more than that through you. Could I? Could Jesus have done all that? Yes, because He is God. So theologically, we're solid there. But Jesus said, "It's not just. You're not just going to heal the sick and raise the dead. In fact, it wasn't a formula." We don't actually see any place else in Scripture where Jesus spits on the ground, makes mud, rubs it on somebody's eyes, and they're healed from their blindness. But if that had happened the one time and Jesus said, this is how you're going to do it, then what would we all be doing right now whenever we see a blind person? Right. And that can get creative. So let's just stop that conversation there. You ask a group of middle school kids, like I did that one time, and I got lots of answers. But anyway... um, we would reduce it down to that one thing. And Jesus and his brilliance and his genius, like it's not that. It forces us into this place of faith and trust. 
Because what would we do if we had an original manuscript of the Bible? It would now be an idol, right? We would have to hang it up and say, this is it, and this is proof, and that is... And Jesus said it has nothing to do with that. It's not... Like, how are you going to prove what someone can't see? Well, there's an answer for that. And we find it in the Lord's Prayer. Lord, let your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. When people begin to see God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, they begin to see that God is true and that God is real. But that only happens through you and I, right? God sometimes does that miraculous through you and I. But Jesus didn't take on just one of these things so that we could just reduce it down to that. We get permission to take them all on. So in light of that, who do we say that Jesus is? Who do we say that Jesus is or who is Jesus to us even in the midst of mass hysteria? In the midst of economic inequality? Regardless of your views on why and how and where, who is Jesus in that place? Who is Jesus in the midst of an unprecedented amount of abortions that have occurred in our country over the last 45 years. Who is Jesus when there's a police shooting? Who is Jesus when someone shoots a policeman? Right? Who is Jesus in wartime? Who is Jesus in peace? That is a question that we have to wrestle with. Like, who is Jesus? And who, or what we say uh, to that question of who Jesus is thus, says a lot about our relationship to him, right? Like if our relationship to God is only in times of trouble, we're not really going to be able to speak to Jesus being much more than our ever-present help in a time of need, right? And that's all he'll ever be. And for a lot of people... For, for parts of my life, that's who Jesus was. Like, I would kind of ignore it until things got crazy. And it's like, oh, I need to bail out. God, you're my ever-present help in times of need. So here's a time of need. If Jesus is our provider, that influences how we think when the store shelves are bare. Or when our... I talked to a number of you guys this morning who have brought up I mean, literally, I've had three different conversations this morning about retirement accounts in uh, view of stock market crash. Who is Jesus in the midst of that? But the other thing that it does when we answer that question, it also describes our expectations and demands that we have on him. So if Jesus is our ever-present help in the time of need and that help doesn't come, that bailout doesn't come, then what does that do to what we built our Messiah to be? One of my favorite, and don't judge me, I'm going to finish this entire story. Then you can judge me. But one of my favorite football coaches of all time was Joe Paterno. As a kid, like if I ever cheer for anybody other than Clemson University, which is where I've been, so if you've been in a different direction, we've got, we are all family. <laughs> uh, 
but I, lo- I thought he was great. I don't know why. Uh, maybe it's because he seemed like a grandpa and he seemed kind of cool. I don't know. Uh, but he, was, he won a lot of games and he seemed like just a good guy and the town loved him. And so as I grew older, like that just kind of stuck with me. So by the time I'm in my 20s and 30s, I'm like, man, this is a great guy. And then by the time I hit my mid-30s, what happened? We had the Jerry Sandusky kind of incident. And it was horrible. And then it starts to come out that Joe Pop probably knew about this and just helped. And there's all these different justifications from people who defend him on why, and I get that side of it. And there's all these other, there's a whole other side that says this was the most horrific thing ever, and I absolutely get that side of it. As a, as a dad who has kids, I absolutely get that side of it. And it's just like, man, what, what unbelievable wrecks we make of lives when we put people in a place that they aren't ever supposed to be. And the interesting thing is we can do that with Jesus sometimes. So that our ideal and the Messiah rises and falls on what it is that we think of. So if he is the healer and our family doesn't get healed, what does that do in our view of God? If he is the provider and we miss some meals, or we miss a paycheck or we miss a whatever, the retirement looks different, or what does that do for our view of God? My expectations and thoughts on Jesus have changed throughout the years based on my experience with him. And so now it's more robust, right? When I was a kid and I was eight years old, Jesus was basically, uh, for me, the guy who was going to uh, make me feel better about this. Like I just had this, I just remember having this feeling inside when they made this altar call. It's like, I got to, there's a compulsion and I, I want this to go away because it doesn't feel comfortable. I feel like I need to go to, and then it's like sort of in that, that instant start crying and Jesus now is just the guy who takes that feeling away and makes me feel better. That's that was an eight-year-old kid. That's grown now. I've experienced a lot of life. More than I probably care to have experienced at times. And so my thought on Jesus is so much more robust than what it was at one point. But Peter gets it right. And he says... You, Jesus, are the Messiah. You're the Christ. You're the one that was promised to us to come. But Jesus kind of correctly points out this idea. is like, that's right, Peter. And that didn't come from you. You weren't smart enough to figure that out on your own. It came from my Father who is in heaven. In John 6, 44, Jesus said, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent him draws them. To me, Jesus is saying your your knowledge, your salvation, like all that stuff, has nothing to do with you. You thought that you got up as an eight year old kid and walked down front and prayed a prayer, and that was your actions. That had nothing to do with you. It was my Father who was drawing you. And so, I really think that for a lot of people, uh, we really kind of, especially in the Western church, we really kind of experienced two different conversions, right? We kind of experienced this first type of conversion when we finally believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And then, then what happens? We get into the church and we kind of get into the re- religious kind of way of thinking and feeling and moving. And we kind of think we got it figured out. And we and you've probably experienced this and said, yeah, this is kind of is. And then you get a second conversion where it's like 
It has nothing to do with the church either because we start to deify the church and the worship experience and all this stuff. And says, no, it just has to do with Jesus. And we're kind of reconverted back to this idea that it is just Jesus. That's not everybody's. That's not theological. We don't. But I find that's true for a lot of folks. But the good news of the gospel is it transforms us even though it doesn't add up to our expectations. It's completely opposite from that. Or it's not even opposite. Like, that's not even the right way to describe it. It's just different. When I was a kid, Jesus was this, like, uh, really uh, conservative, evangelical, uh, Republican, um, if I'm being honest, white God who liked music with, with the instruments. And so what did that do? Uh, that separated me from my friends who didn't believe that. That was a very narrow view. But that's like kind of what it was. But it wasn't just that. And then I met some friends who didn't believe the same way I did, but they were, and I'm praying with them, I'm doing this thing, and he's like, hang on, you don't believe it? Like, what in the world? He's like, no. Like, Jesus isn't left or right. Jesus isn't black or white. Jesus isn't... Contemporary versus conservative. Jesus isn't house church versus big church. Jesus isn't uh, male versus female. Jesus isn't any of this stuff. Like Jesus is completely different from everything that we ever expected. And Peter got that for a second. But we can't ever completely get it. I mean, we'll wrestle with this for the rest of our lives on what the gospel really is. And Peter got it for a second, but Jesus is quick to point out, you didn't understand this on your own. Jesus gave it to us. And then he blows it right after. He proves that Jesus was right because it is not even four verses later and Peter's done blowing. But before we get there, let's think for a second. Peter got it right. But what was the Jewish thought on the coming Messiah? This was a group of people who were occupied by a foreign country on a land that was promised to them by their forefathers. They still had celebrations that remembered them coming out of Egypt. They had celebrations that remembered God giving them this land in the unique and miraculous ways in which He did, which we just went through in Joshua. So their thought on the Messiah was this one who was going to come and redeem them, take back their land, put them in control. And it wasn't that. It was completely different. Read you very quickly, Matthew, verse one. I mean, chapter one, verse twenty-one. I mean, I'll have that in there. This is Matthew writing about the coming Messiah, and he says, "She will bear a son. She, being Mary, will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus." For he will save people from their sins. And so for some people, Jesus is the personal Lord and Savior. And that's what Jesus is. But for other people, 
Jesus was the God who came to the, for Peter, Jesus was the God who was going to come to their community and redeem their community and put them back in control. Like put their, and so it wasn't just a prophecy to Joseph that was true that he was going to redeem people from sins. That was true. It wasn't just that Jesus was coming to the Jews to redeem them and restore them. It was both and, and it was more than all that. Jesus was completely different. And so the following the gospel gives us permission to let our hair down to breathe, to just follow God in, a, in the way that He's leading us and not in some prescribed, already thought out method that someone told us this is who Jesus is. Because we can't nail down who Jesus is. And Peter gets it wrong. He goes from the peak of his career to rock bottom in about five and a half seconds. He says, you are the Christ. He said, the greatest declaration that we can see in Scripture than anybody else said yet to Jesus himself, he's looking at him and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Like this peak moment. I remember when I was a kid, there was this passion play called The Witness. You may have seen it. It was written in the 70s. And that's like this pinnacle time and the music swelling is a thick thing. And he comes out and he starts singing this song, you are the Christ, the Son of God. It's this whole thing. And it's a great moving piece of this, of this musical. And then four chapter, four verses later, it made more sense if it was four chapters. At least give Peter some time to backslide, right? It was instant. Jesus starts telling him, but, and this is how it's going to happen. And Jesus pulled him aside. I mean, uh, excuse me, Peter pulled him aside. Why? Because Peter's view on the Messiah was one who was going to put them in power, let them reign. And he says, this is not going to happen to you, Jesus. You can't do this. Get behind me, Satan. You don't have your, your thought on the, on the mind of God. You're not thinking about this in the way that God's thinking about it. In fact, because what God needs is for me to die. Like this is necessary for the salvation of man, and you're actually trying to stop that. So get behind me. He didn't flesh all that out. We, just, we know that now. Get behind me, Satan. You don't have your mind on the things of God. Because he had his mind on what he thought the Messiah was supposed to be. Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. We read it last week, but it reminds us. The prophet Isaiah said this through the, through, the, in, through the power of the Holy Spirit. He says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and neither are my ways your ways, declare the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, and so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Interpretation, you're not going to figure it out. Just when you think you do, probably going to be different than what you thought. Because I'm, I am the creator of all things. I spoke life into being, and I can do it again. Pandemics rise, and I can take them out. I can let them continue. Well, how would you do that, God? I don't know. Well, your ways aren't my ways. Peter still didn't understand who the Messiah was. Why? Because he got the gospel. He got the fact that Jesus was the Messiah, but he had this comfortable version of the gospel. This is what the gospel looks like. The gospel looks like the Messiah coming and taking power. It's probably one reason why Peter was quick to raise his sword the night that Jesus was betrayed. We'll talk about it in a couple weeks. He was ready to go. His gospel was very comfortable to him because it's what he thought it was, was his whole life. And Jesus said, it ain't, it's not going to be like that going to be a lot more subversive right now than you have ever thought it would be. And I struggle with that. 
And you guys struggle with that. Because when things aren't as they should be, our one of our first questions, and it was one of my first questions, God, why are you letting this happen? And I wrap in really nice theological language. It's like, because I just want wisdom, God. Why are you letting this happen? It doesn't make sense to me. How would this be right? How would this be good? But the interesting thing is, and I think this is what Jesus wants people, Peter, to recognize and realize, is that I'm not coming here and I'm not dying so that you can be safe. There was nothing safe that Jesus ever did, right? Why would he leave perfection to come down here? That wasn't safe. Give up his body. That wasn't safe. Call us into this thing that's completely different than everybody else. Like, that's not safe. That's crazy. Everybody's going to think we're different. And they may kill us for it. They may shun us for it. They may lock us out for it. Jesus said, but you, like, it's not about being safe. Jesus came and died to make us dangerous so that we can live outside the box, so that we can live in a different category, so that we can look in the face of all that's going on in this this past week and say, God, how are you how are, how are you going to use me to help bring the kingdom to this? It reminds me of a story I've told before. In the, in the 300s, there was, a, there was an epidemic that kind of swept that region of the world uh, where basically the Christ, Christianity was still right there in like the Middle East. It hadn't really expanded out. And there was a, a pandemic of sorts in that little area, and a lot of people died because of it. Um, and the Christianity just boomed out of it. And people were trying to figure out how in the world the Christianity just boomed out of this. And it was because the Christians stayed back. These guys realized Jesus didn't call them to safety. He called them to live the gospel out in every aspect of life. And they stayed back with the sick and the dying, even at the risk of their own life. Christianity boomed. Could God be positioning for something like that? I don't know. I'm not saying that. I'm not declaring that. Maybe, though. Maybe he just wants us to be a friend to the friendless during a time of loneliness. Maybe he wants us to be a people who show that we're not going to live in fear. We're going to live in strength and power and courage of a God who is bigger than anything that we can imagine. When we enter into a new way of seeing the Messiah in that way and not just in the way that we've kind of prescribed Jesus to be, we find freedom. Because then we have freedom to do whatever it is that God's called us to do. Whether God's calling us to a hub of 30 people around the Piedmont area and Powdersville area, whether God's calling us into the poorest areas of Easley to work with folks at the Dream Center or other nonprofits, whether God's calling us to work in our neighborhoods, to open up our tables, whatever it is that God's calling us to do, we have we, we find freedom to do that when we can see that Jesus is more than just the Messiah who came to make us safe, happy, and healthy until he calls us into the sweet by and by. So the question as we come to the table to celebrate a God who actually embraced that idea who actually showed us that it wasn't about being safe, but it was about, like we read in Scripture this morning, in the end of Matthew, he said, if you're going to follow me, take up your cross and follow me daily. You have to die to yourself daily. We're going to remember a God who show, who didn't just say those words, but he showed us what that looked like. It's a question I want us to wrestle with 
over the rest of this Lenten season? Or are we going to live safe or are we going to live dangerous? And God has called us to not seek comfort and safety, but to seek Him. And we're really thankful when it is comfort, comforting and safe. We really are. I am. I don't want bad things to happen to my kids. I don't like to see school shootings. But God didn't call us to be a light out of the world. He called us into darkness to be a light into darkness. And that is our job as a church is to display the kingdom of God where the kingdom of God does not already exist. And that is not safe. It may not be dangerous in life threatening. But it's certainly dangerous on the life that we've built for ourselves sometimes. It can be very dangerous to our schedules. So we're going to come this morning if you want. Don't feel any pressure. But we do have a safer method of taking communion. Uh, And we're going to, uh, but even if you don't, we're going to remember because the communion elements aren't about, they are an experiential thing, but they're not about like this religious thing of I have to eat bread and have to drink juice or it doesn't count. Jesus said, just do this as often as you have to remember me. And so even if you don't move forward this morning and take the elements, even if it is just being obedient to that call to remember Christ and what he did for us and what it meant for us, that is the good news of the gospel. So in that, we're going to pray. And after the prayer, we're going to stand together and say what we believe through the words of the Nicene Creed. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you would like more information, please visit us at www.mosaiceasley.org.